Today I'm continuing on in a series regarding prayer and intercession. I've been teaching on it for about the last month and a half, and I would encourage you, if you've not listened to any of the messages that I've preached up till now, to go back and listen to some of them. I've taught on a variety of areas concerning prayer and intercession, but probably the most constant, consistent theme that I have preached on is you staying in consistent communion with the Lord. If I can get you to stay in a place where you're constantly talking with him, praying, listening, and hearing what he has to say, we'll all win. If I can get accurate lordship in your life where you're following God's biblical standards, where you're reading your word, and God is giving you downloads of his promises every day in your life, we all win. Amen? And so that's what I'm on a mission to do. And today, the scripture that we're going to start out with comes from Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to give you the setup of this scripture. In Ephesians 6.18, we're instructed to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We are instructed to be watchful to the end, to persevere, and to supplicate for all the saints. But everything prior to the Scripture was in the context of spiritual warfare and standing against the lies and the wiles of the enemy. I love this little block of Scriptures. In fact, my whole life, I have specifically prayed the full armor of God on me, almost daily. Now, when I was younger, I would literally pray, God, I pray your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for the readiness of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit to be active in every area of my life. And I remember back in the day, I had somebody that said to me, you know, why are you praying that prayer every day? It's not literal. And I said, well, you don't understand what I'm going through. It's literal for me. Because I'm facing so much hardship and adversity and difficulty in my life my whole life, my Christian life, has been birthed in warfare and overcoming, suffering, facing difficulties. I've had incredible breakthroughs, and I have an amazing life. I wouldn't obviously trade it for anything. But the process to get to where I'm at today has been a lot of overcoming, a lot of hardship, and a lot of difficulty. And I also know that my main enemy is not my wife or not you or not the world system or not even ISIS. My main enemy is a spiritual enemy that plays people like puppets or even when I choose to give in to what the devil's saying. Many times, you know, we say, well, that's just the devil talking. Yeah, sometimes the enemy does get the best of you. But God gives you tools and resources to overcome him every day, and one of them is the full armor of God. And I particularly like Ephesians 6.10. It says, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So God's saying your strength is not in yourself. Your strength is in his lordship, his dominion, his headship, and the power that comes with it. It's the, it's the power of Christ, every day active in your life. Be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, and the power of his might, not my strength. Not in anything that I own or possess. And then he goes on to talk about the full armor of God. Now, I still pray the full armor of God upon me every day. But when I pray the armor of God, I'm praying it with more understanding and knowledge and insight to what those mean. For example, when I pray the helmet of salvation, what I'm praying is this understanding that God protects my thoughts, my mind, the way I perceive, and everything going on inside my brain. Because sometimes my thought life can get a little bit crazy. Sometimes what I believe, what I speak, what I say, what I'm adhering to inside my head is contrary to God's biblical standard. So I need to renew my mind. And that's why the helmet protects your head of salvation means that salvation or sozo in the Greek means God rescues you, he delivers you, he protects you, and he makes you to be everything you were called to be. 
So who you once were gets transformed into who he wants you to be now. And every day I would pray, Lord, I pray the helmet of salvation upon my brain, my mind, so that I could understand. I pray the breastplate of righteousness, what you did on the cross to guard my heart. Because it's only by your blood and what you did that I can stand upright in righteousness with you. And so I start to, that's how I pray with the Lord. I literally start to pray those pieces of armor with full understanding. But then after the armor, the Apostle Paul says this powerful thing to the church of Ephesus. He says, praying always, verse 18, with all prayers, always and all. Now, always means stay in constant communion and connected to the Lord at all times. Because the minute that I choose to get into the dark or stay or get disconnected is the minute that I'm not always in prayer and in constant communion with him. So always means always. God wants you to always be in communion with him. Now, I do a lot less talking and a lot more listening in my spiritual walk with the Lord now. I do a lot more one-sentence agreement prayers with the Lord And I listen to what he has to say. But in this particular context, we're talking about praying with all prayers for all the saints. Notice the last part of the scripture. It says all the saints. And we're instructed to be patient and not give up and to persevere. Some of you, you're like on a 90-day money-back guarantee with God. It's been 90 days, God. You haven't answered my prayer. I gave my life to you and nothing's changed. Well, the truth is that something has changed. But it's like planting a seed in the ground. You don't sit there and just stare at it and say, hurry up and grow, hurry up and grow. The seed grows in its own time with nourishment and fertilizer and sunlight and water and all the things that it needs to grow, right? And so God is is a God of process, and he knows what you need when you need it the best. And so you've got to learn and understand what it means to be patient and to persevere. Some of you are in in a process of trust and believing God for great things. It's been 90 days. It's been a year, two years, five years, 10 years. But you can never give up because God's word is true. He'll do what he said he would do. He made a promise to you. For example, in Acts 16.31, Scripture says uh, uh, to the jailer, uh, the Apostle Paul said, If you believe in the Lord, not only will you be saved, rescued, delivered, healed, and protected, and made whole, but so will your family. So if you've got a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, i got an answer for you. But if you don't learn to persevere, see, perseverance is very, very important that you understand perseverance. The word persevere is a compound word of per, which means to go through severe difficulties, obstacles, trials, challenges, and hardships. And I wish I could tell you all you'd never go through a hardship or never have trouble or you don't have persevere, but the truth is 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, the signs of the apostles were given first through perseverance then signs and wonders. So you've got to learn to stand through the hardships and the difficulties that come your way, no matter what you're facing. And I know some of you today are facing incredible hardship. Incredible hardship. Whatever it may be, God calls you to stay in communion with him and to persevere. And there's a variety of things inside the scripture I love. Like one of them says, with all prayers and supplications, In the spirit. Now, if you can learn what it means to be in the spirit at all times, now my prayer life is not my will be done, but his will be done. Now I'm not praying what I think you need. I'm praying what he knows you need. Now I'm not praying according to my own desires. I'm praying according to his desires. 
And we studied that early on in this, in, when I started this series in John 15, where Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that when you pray, you would have what you pray for. Because now God wants you to pray from a fruitful place, a place according to his plan and wills and desires, a place according to what he wants for your life and the person that you're praying for's life, not what I think I need or I want or what should be for you. For example, back in the day, I used to pray some really jacked up prayers. Man, did I pray some jacked up prayers. I prayed some really dumb prayers. Like, for example, if you smoked or did drugs, I would pray, Lord, just get them sick. God, just make them get so sick of that cigarette that it just, they turn green and they just puke their guts out and they can't take it anymore. I used to drive by the strip club and say, God, just burn it down. I'd stretch my hand. I'd drive by the tarot card psychic and I'd say, God, just burn that house down right now and show them, Lord. Just get, you know, show them, God, how wrong they are. Those were erroneous prayers. Now what I pray is, God, bring healing and life and health and wholeness. I'd drive by cheetahs and i say, Lord, just show them the greatness of you. Get those dancers born again and get that strip club owner. Cause him to see how great you are and how much you love him. Lord, that psychic, show her her gift is supposed to be used prophetically in the kingdom of God, not to fortune tell or make money, but to bring life and healing to people's lives for your purposes. Now my prayers are in accordance to a fruitful place. Instead of smite them, God, I pray, Lord, get them. Get them the way you got me. Show them how much you love them, Lord. Show them how, what a great dad you are and what a great father you are. That's how we pray for outlaw bikers. That's how we pray for people doing the worst of the worst. You see, when you pray for your enemies and those who spitefully use you or do things that they shouldn't do, especially even against children, what you do is vengeance becomes the Lord's and he heaps burning coals on their head, on their brain to the spot where they can't help it but hopefully cry out to the Lord. God brings everybody to the valley of decision. Some of you are in the valley of decision right now. And I'm going to break that down for you a little bit more, what it means to constantly be in the valley of decision to make the right choice. God loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would have life and have it forevermore. It's eternity now. All right? And so we're making all prayers always for all men, and we're doing it in a way that is watchful at all times. Let's bring the scripture back up. What does it mean to be watchful? To be watchful means to be attentive. It means to live your life circumspectly. How many of you know what it means to be circumspect? The exact word in the Greek for circumspect is the word acrobat. And here's what it means. If you think of an acrobat and what they have to do to be perfectly timed at all times with the catches and the flips and flying in the air, but I often think about walking the tightrope. And when you're walking that tightrope like over Times Square, I watched a show recently with the, um, I forgot who they were, but they're, watch, they're walking over Times Square for like an hour on a tightrope. One misstep can lead to your death. Right? And so in our life, God calls us to be watchful at all times. That's why being sober-minded is important. Because if I'm sidetracked or I'm drunk or I'm checked out, then I can't be checked in for the present moment in what God wants to say and do no matter where I'm at. We are to be watchful at all times until what? The end. It means that 
No, I wasn't just watchful for a day or an hour. I'm watchful all the days of my life. I live my life circumspectly because there's an enemy that hates me. And he wants to kill me. And he wants to steal from me. And he doesn't ever stop. Revelations 12.10. He's constantly accusing, lying. John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So God gives me a counter strategy. He says, stay watchful and stay in the spirit. In the spirit means I'm born again. That's number one. We're not talking about some weird spirit guide or some strange spirits. First of all, I surrender my life to Jesus. My life is not my own. And my spirit becomes one with him. When I get born again, my spirit is one with him. I'm not in crisis and condemnation anymore. Even though the life circumstances may dictate that sometimes, I don't grab onto it because I'm born again in the spirit. But I'm a three-part being. You're a three-part being. Your spirit, soul, and body. Let's say this together. Say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. And the soul is your mind, your will, emotions, and all your past experiences, all the lenses about who God is and who Jesus is. Because today my focus is to pull any of you out of crisis mode and condemnation. Because once we come to Jesus, we should never be living in condemnation. And I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. So when I get born again, I'm made one in my spirit, the essence of who I am, my breath, my life with the Lord, but my soul realm that has past hurts, pains, unforgiveness, bitterness, struggles, challenges, addictions, all my failures, all my past, all my church background, all that has lenses on it of how I view and perceive who God is. So what God does is he gives his spirit to you. And the spirit speaks truth to you and reminds you of everything Jesus said. So now in my soul realm, I'm now being worked on by the Holy Spirit so that when I pray in the spirit, things happen. Because now I'm doing it his way, not my way. Do you understand? And God calls us to pray for all people. See, you can have all the armory. I love how he concluded this section with this. Because you can have all the military might and power. The best weapons and the best armor without being watchful, walking circumspectly, without being wise. You know, I love the Braveheart movie after, you know, William Wallace's dad's died and Uncle Argyle comes along and he's got vengeance in his eyes and he's a little boy and they're standing by the fire and the dad's getting burned. I, I love this movie, by the way. And you can see in, in William Wallace's eyes just vengeance for what happened to his dad and Uncle Ar and he's got the sword and Uncle Argyle says, you got to learn this and this before you learn that. We don't wield weapons haphazardly. Instead, we walk circumspectly and we persevere no matter what obstacle and difficulty you're facing. And some of you are facing incredible odds, difficulty, and hardship. That's what it means to persevere. It means that when all the odds are against me, I don't back down. And some of you, when you go through hardship or you start to get do better and you feel good and you feel like your legs get kicked out from under you, and if you ever feel that way, then you pick yourself up and you get leaner and meaner and you set your face like flint and you don't back down. Though a righteous man falls seven times, you pick yourself up because what I see in you is different than often what you see in you. And you've got to understand the heartbeat of the Father. God so loved the world. He didn't come here to throw you into crisis and condemnation. He, pulled, he came to pull you out of crisis and condemnation. But you can never do it alone. You can't do it with your best intellect. It doesn't matter how smart or how many degrees or what you do for a living. 
It's only through Jesus Christ and being surrendered to him and him actively involved in your life and the spirit in me. So now when I pray, I'm praying with all prayers in agreement with what he says, supplication in the spirit. I'm watching. I'm paying attention. I'm persevering no matter how hard it is. Now, I'm not doing a big teaching on perseverance, but I would encourage you as your pastor to go do a word study on perseverance in your Bible. I'll tell you one great thing about perseverance. In Romans chapter 5, it says that you should rejoice in tribulation, hardship, and suffering. Are you going through something really difficult right now? Praise God. Because if you respond right and don't spin out and you look for Jesus in the midst of it, that tribulation and hardship will produce something in your life. And in Romans 5, it says the first thing it produces is perseverance. It means that no matter how hard it is, it's not going to kill me. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to press through it. When we got news that our daughter Eden had passed away inside Amber's tummy, we made the decision to set our faces like flint and look for Jesus and not fall back and be destitute. Instead, we set our faces like flint and we walked through it, clinging to the presence of God and worshiping the whole way through it. And in turn, what happened was we made a decision that caused us to be fruitful, and anybody that's in crisis is facing a decision. That's what crisis means. I'm facing extreme adverse situations that forces me to make a choice that either leads to life or death. And my prayer is that my kids will never go through crisis. But you know what? Sometimes crisis and hardship happens, and even Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. But to take heart because there's a cross, there's blood, there's a savior, and he lives forever. He's not in the grave. He's resurrected. So I, I serve a living God that's actively involved in my life. And so now when I lean on him, I'm not just praying a hopeful, wishful prayer, prayer to a Buddha or a statue or a, or a bottled water. It's not placebo faith. I don't live a placebo life. What, but what I have learned is hardship and perseverance and tr- hardship and difficulties come, but perseverance is required. And instead what happens, we back down, or the devil's kicking my butt, oh, woe is me, victim mentality. If you are born again, you are a saint, you are a Christian, and you are not called to live in condemnation or crisis. And I'm going to show that to you. So the prayers I pray are prayers according to what he wants, not what I want. They're most effective when they're prayed in the Holy Spirit. It means I'm not praying my will or desire. I'm praying his. It happens when we're born again and full of the Holy Spirit. When I remain watchful, always staying attentive, not being slothful. That's the problem when your life is about your money and your career and you're a workaholic and you don't put Jesus first in everything that you do. And when you put Jesus first, your life is fruitful and abundant. You can't serve two masters. And stuff and things and money and careers will ultimately become a master in your life if Jesus is not front and center in lordship. And so I'm not distracted. But I can get distracted when I'm finding myself chasing after the things of this world. Stuff, money. And look, I got a lot of stuff. And I've been very, very blessed in my life. But it hasn't come without a lot of hardship and overcoming. But that stuff doesn't have me. Seriously, it's all going to burn in the end. It's just stuff, right? God's got a bigger purpose and plan for our lives than our stuff and our careers. 
It doesn't mean those things aren't important, but it means that front and center is my attentiveness and watchfulness to the kingdom of God and what God has for me. I stay steadfast despite delays. Do any of you feel delayed with your children? Do any of you feel delayed in your finances? Do any of you feel delayed in the promises of God? The Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen. The word supplication means, if you look up the word supplication, it means that I'm petitioning God. But a better word for petition is the word entreat. You know what it means to entreat? It means this. The word is in a treaty. You know what a treaty is? It's a covenant promise with God or between nations that have made ratified a treaty that cannot be changed. We have a treaty and it's an agreement. God made a covenant promise to you. So now when I'm supplicating or praying for you or myself, I'm standing on the covenant promises of God. I'm entreating him or petitioning him according to his promises of what he said. That's how you pray. Now, I also want to clarify, God definitely hears the cry of desperation for help when you've been jacked up, messed up, screwed up, and in your darkest hour. In fact, one of the most powerful prayers is help. It's one of the most powerful prayers. See, there are two men praying in the temple. Jesus tells a story. One of the men says, I've been, I'm going to paraphrase it my way, how I read it. Man, I go to church every week. I read my Bible every day. I have quiet time every day. I pray. I worship, I fast, and I even give a tenth of everything that I own. None of those things are wrong. But that person, that Pharisee or Sadducee prayed something that he never should have said. They gave it away. He said, and I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that guy. He fell into the comparison trap of look at me and my righteousness, and he's so jacked. Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. But the other guy is praying, the sinner's praying, beating his chest, saying, have mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he's full of shame. Couldn't even look at the other guy and is hiding in the corner. And God says, whose prayer do you think I heard? But at some point, you come out of that constant cry of jacked up, brokenness, desperate. God will will take you as you are that way, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. And, And for me, it was years of bombing it and crying out like that. But I never gave up, and I always loved him, and I trust him just like you. And in turn, God never failed. He always comes through. That's why you never give up. And you never stay in the dark. Always come to the light. Always come to the light. Never stay in the dark. And so God hears those desperate cries for help. But once you get born again, and once you are joined together with the Spirit, and especially when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, now we live our lives differently, and now my prayer is much different. Now I'm praying for all saints according to God's will and covenant promise. Why do I do that? Because you're family. We're the body of Christ. So I'm praying for, for Pastor Mike Faylauer in his church. I'm driving out to my friend's house who lives in London School District out by London. And I'm driving by Church Unlimited and I stretch my hand towards it. I say, thank you, God, for Pastor Bill. I'm not going, man, look at that big old church and all that land they got. They must be robbing the people blind. Man, I can't believe that mega church. No, I'm saying thank you, Jesus, for what you, because I don't know the, I'm not in his shoes, and I know that pastoring is extremely difficult. I mean, shoot, all I get to do is golf and fish every day. I wish. I wish that was the case. 
So I pray for Pastor DeConing at Walter Road Baptist Church. I pray for the Coles at Grace Community. I pray for uh, all the pastors in the region. And I realize I may have doctrinal differences with them, and they probably do some things that I don't agree with. But guess what? They probably feel the same way about me <laughs> and this church. So what I do is instead of cursing, I bless and I release life and I pray for all the saints in my community and all over the world. In Pakistan, it's an incredible, incredible group of Christians that have had to persevere and overcome insane hardships, burn down houses, burn down churches. It's, if you are a Christian in Pakistan, you, it's a fight spiritually. And you see God move supernaturally in places like that like no other. And so what I do is I'm praying for all the saints all over the world because you're my family. You're my family. And the person sitting next to you, if they're born again, are your family also. Now, it doesn't mean we don't pray for the world. But here in a moment, I'm going to show you in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus prayed three sets of prayers. First, he prayed for himself. Then he prayed for his disciples. Then he prayed for the future believers and disciples and the world and those that were to come. Okay? So you've got to understand that God wants you to stand firm and persevere. Stay steadfast despite delays, difficulty, obstacles, or discouragement. We're called to do all of that, not just for us, but for the body of Christ at large and all the saints. And it's what Jesus did in John 17. So what I'm going to do is, as much as I would love to break down and read the entire chapter of John 17 and break it down word by word, I'm not going to do that because of time. But what I am going to do is I'm going to summarize the three prayers that Jesus prayed before he went to the garden and ultimately the cross and ultimately his death. Here's the three prayers. The first prayer he prayed was for himself. And he prayed, if you read through all of John 17, one of the things that I love so much about how Jesus prayed is he, in general, he prays this kind of prayer. Lord, you did it in me. Now do it through me. Lord, I did what you said. Now do what you said. That is supplication and agreement. That's how Jesus prayed. So the prayer that he prayed was, I've been faithful with your word, faithful with your name. I've glorified you. I've remained in you. I've given them everything you've given me. Now glorify them and do something supernatural in their life. So when Jesus prays for himself, he prays the in me and through me prayer. Then he prays to be glorified and that the Father would be glorified. He says, glorify me as I glorify you. He prays by coming into agreement with what the Lord did in his life and in turn what the Father wanted to do in the lives of others. Lord, thank you for all you did in my life. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness in my life. I'll paraphrase it. Thank you, God, for your kindness and your mercy. Now, Lord, as you've done it to me, do it in my family. Do it in the body of Christ all over the world. You've been so good to me. Now, show them how good you are. That's the first section. The second section of... of John 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples. And this prayer is a very specific prayer. Now, when, Jesus, when we're instructed by Paul to pray always all prayers, there's two types of prayers. There's general prayers, and there's specific prayers. So I, I know in generally how I pray for my wife, or for you guys, or for you guys. 
I can pray a lot of general prayers according to God's word. It's not that hard. I'm praying, Lord, thank you for Lacey's life. Thank you for the baby. Thank you for health and wholeness and life and strength. But she may be going through something specific that I don't know. And that's why I encourage you guys to submit prayer requests. That's why we have a prayer partner team. We have intercessory prayer here. So in the seat pocket in front of you is a prayer card or you can go online. And sometimes I know very specific prayers that are going on in your life, and I pray very specifically for you. And what I pray is, according to your situation, specific. So when Jesus prayed for the disciples, he said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my disciples. He says, I'm not praying for the world. And so when he's not praying for the world, he says this. He says, you have given me those who belong to me. And I've given them to you. And I pray, here's some of the things he prayed, for protection. He prayed for protection to only be in the world and not of it, and that we would have unity with one another. God wants unity, and he wants us to not be of this world, in it, but not of it. Okay? Then he prays that our joy would be fulfilled, and then he prays something very powerful. He says, Father, keep them from the evil one. This is the second part of John 17. Because we are in a battle. And Jesus is praying to the Father that the Father would protect us and keep us from the devil, the lies of the wicked one, condemnation, shame, hurts, pains, addictions, whatever it is that we've battled in our life. And he prays that we would be unified. In fact, in all three of these prayers, unity is a common thing for the Lord. Because he wants us to become one. Here's why. The body of Christ is called to be the contrast. The contrast is the difference between light and dark. So we are the light of the world. Let's hear everybody say, I am, I am. The, light of the, world. the light of the world. So God's plan to save the world that's in darkness and condemnation is to raise up a really bright light. Tag, you're it. And as we become lights in a dark world, people see the difference. That's why you have to become the difference. And you become the difference through Jesus Christ. God sees our life. I hope and pray that my life would be a great witness and example for you. But now what I want you to do is to become a great witness and example to those surrounding you. And I want you to find your unique way that makes you you. Because this church isn't about uniformity, which many religious churches are. Everybody's uniform to the pastor. It's about unity by the Holy Spirit. It's not about uniformity. It's about unity by the Holy Spirit. So you need to find your unique voice. You need to find your unique call. You need to find your unique gifting. You need to build your unique story. Most of all the things that I'm teaching you have been uniquely taught to me by God. You can grab onto those, and I've learned a lot from other people, but now you make it yours. Okay? So, Jesus prays for unity, fulfilled joy, and he prayed this awesome thing. He said, don't take them out of the world. God actually, Jesus actually prayed, don't take them out of the world. Because he recognizes that we have to be in it, not of it, to make the difference. And then again, he prayed that we be unified. And then he said, let them see and behold my glory that you've given to me. Jesus actually wants us to see and behold the nature and the beauty and the radiance of who he is. So we can become that for the world around us. But the misconception of how God feels about us coupled with the lies of the devil bring condemnation, and it's not the Father's heart. John 3, 17 through 21. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Now, I'm going to keep reading here in a moment, but I want to break something down for you. The word condemnation in the Greek is the exact word, English word that we use called crisis. It's the exact word crisis. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reread this. I'm going to, I'm going to change the word condemnation to crisis. And I also want to break down what crisis actually means. To be in a crisis means that you're in a, t- a time of intense difficulty or danger. It means you're in the most important decision of your life. It means a turning point of a disease when an important change has to take place, indicating either recovery or death. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world or put them into crisis. They're already in crisis. Okay? And so let's reread it again. For God did not send his world into the world to throw the world into crisis, but that the world through him would be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. How many of you believe in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says clearly, black, red, and white, you're not condemned. Now, you may bomb it. Some of you may have looked at porn this morning or last night or treated your wife poorly or lied or ran into deception. Jesus goes on to break down what condemnation really is. Here's condemnation. I ran to the dark instead of running to the light. Because when I run to the light, I'm saying expose all my deeds. But because of shame and fear and the lies of religion and the devil, I run to the dark so that I can preserve and protect and hide myself Instead of saying, let it all out. So you know how many people come to me and they say, man, I'm really battling porn. I'm really battling, and they feel, I hear it all the time. Difficulties or, you know, whatever it is in your past that you've battled. Or maybe you're still battling it. Now, I have people that come to me even to this day. Been coming to church for years. Listen, I just need to let you know I, I smoke pot every day. Or I need to let you know that I've been battling porn. I'm like, this whole time that you've been here? They're like, yeah. I said, Well, praise God you brought it into the light. Come here and give me a big hug. Pornography is not who you are. That is not who you are. And I start to speak who you really are, not what the devil's saying. Because I can assure you with porn and addictions and failures, condemnation is constantly bombarding you. So the last thing that people need is the church or religion to throw you into more condemnation. It didn't say I came into the world, they're in condemnation, I'm going to kick them while they're down. Jesus isn't up in heaven saying, they're really jacked up, God. Give them what they deserve. There's no scripture that says you made your bed, now lie in it. Well, I'm just getting what I deserve. You don't get what you deserve with Jesus. He paid the price on the cross. I didn't deserve anything I have right now. I'm living an awesome life. Does it have hardship and adversity? Do I need to persevere in trouble? You bet. But he's an awesome God, and he's faithful, and he's never given up on me, never in my whole life. I should be dead. I should still be in prison. I should never have someone as incredible as my wife. 
ever. I, don't des- I never deserved her. But God in his love and his kindness and his mercy didn't grant me according to what I deserved. I used to live in condemnation. Shame, victim mentality, blaming. And every now and then that thing tries to creep in. And I realize, okay, this is not who I am and I'm not in condemnation. It's not crisis. So even if you lose a child or your marriage goes on the rocks or whatever your story is, whatever your story is, my circumstances don't throw me into condemnation because I have Jesus. I'm born again now. You understand? So we've got to stop living as crisis Christians. Will God take you over and over and over again? Did he do it for me? Will he keep doing it for you? But does he want you to live as crisis Christian? He wants you to learn to grow, be steadfast. Nothing grows in the dark. So the crisis, the condemnation is, I loved darkness more than I loved the light. Because if I come to the light, all my deeds will be exposed. Expose it. Get it to the light. To the degree that you live in the light is to the degree that you will be free. You can't have anything in the dark. Find somebody, get with Jesus, and understand his heartbeat. So the condemnation is people love darkness rather than light. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Condemnation and the lie of the enemy is when I fail, run from him instead of run We run to Jesus in the midst of our We run to Jesus in the midst of our failure. See, for many of us, and even me a lot of times, my ceiling of how much God loves me is about right here. I don't really fully understand the greatness and the depths of how much he loves me. He loves me way more than here. His love blows the ceiling. There is actually no ceiling. He loves us way more than we realize. He loves us way more than you could ever know or think. And he loves you so much that he came to do what? Save you, not condemn you. So why are we living in condemnation? The blood and the mercy and the forgiveness of God is available as long as you have breath in your lungs. And if you'll trust in the lordship of Christ, you won't continue to live in the same cycle. He's got the ability and the power to transform you if you let him. Not only does he take us as we are and he loves us deeply, not only does he heal and transform us into something brand new, but did you know that the Lord also continuously prays for you? Did you know that? Let me help you understand it. I've had people in my life that I never see ever. And they got kind of a weird religious thing going on. And every time I see him, oh, oh, pastor, Oh, I've been praying for you. And I'm like, you liar. You have not been praying for me. Don't try to be pretentious and religious with me. I know that that's a con- They say it to everybody. Oh, I've been praying for you. Really? Well, you must be in prayer all day, every day, every minute of every day. But then there are those that I know genuinely love me and care about me. And when I'm going through a difficult time, they say, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And I'm like, thank you, that means so much to me. And it comforts me and it strengthens me. 
how much more should we be comforted and strengthened to know that Jesus is praying for you? Let me show it to you. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It's a rhetorical question. No one. For if God is for you, and the answer is no one. So there's this powerful statement in the Bible that says, who is it that's condemning you? Because I'm not, Jesus is like, I'm not condemning you. You shouldn't be walking in condemnation. And then he goes on to say, Jesus died. And furthermore, he's alive because he's risen. And now he's at the right hand of God with power and authority. So he died for us. He rose and lives now, sits at the right hand of God with power and authority. And what's he doing? Da 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 ba dum ba da ah, yeah! You guys got to get fired up about this. He makes intercession for you. No, you got to understand, to intercede means I'm standing on your behalf. So what's he forever lives forever to stand on your behalf. But see, the lie of the enemy is you're Jack, you're so screwed up, man. This is God paying you back for what you did. The lie of the enemy is Jesus doesn't care. He's more concerned about wars around the world or somebody else somewhere than he is you. The lie of the enemy is that Jesus, think of how much of a polarizing difference this is when you understand he's sitting there praying for you, standing on your behalf. Now, the question may be what's he praying? What's he saying? What's he doing? Well, first, remember, no one can condemn you because of three things. Remember this. Jesus died on the cross. He sits at the right hand of the Father with power and authority, and he's praying for me because his blood speaks a better word. When Cain killed Abel, the blood of vengeance was crying out from the ground. But now I don't live a life of vengeance. In fact, the Bible says pray for your enemies and love those that persecute you. By so doing, you heap burning coals on their head. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so what I do is I pray for you always consistently, no matter who it is. And I say, Jesus, do what you do best. That's how I pray for people. And Jesus is praying for me. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But he, Jesus, because he continues how long? How long? Not a month, a day, a week. Not a few years. He continues forever. Has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also, I love this. He, he's talking about those that are going to come to him. That maybe don't even know him yet. Your prodigals, your family, your friends, but even us going back. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to do what? To make intercession for them. Which means he's standing on your behalf, he's standing in the gap, and he's saying to the Father, look at my hands, look at my side, and my blood speaks a better word. It speaks life and health and wholeness for you. If you could see that Jesus is praying for you right now because of the price he paid, you would never live downcast, beat down, broke down. And anytime you do, you would give it to him and understand he's for you, not against you. He's praying for you. Now, he doesn't want you to live a life of sin. God doesn't want you to sin. In fact, God wants us to live a sinless life. But the chances are likely, maybe highly likely, 
maybe almost 100% that you lived a life of sin and you probably will sin again. It's not a matter of whether I'm going to sin again. It's a matter of the fact that I don't want to sin again. And so in John chapter 2, verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, check this out. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you because I don't want you to sin. Does God want you to sin? But this word if actually in the Greek means there's a chance that you may and probably likely that at times you will fall short. And if you do, there is an advocate. There's an advocate. You know what it means to be an advocate? To be an advocate means in the court of law, a legal representative that pleads your case and fights on your behalf. It means in the public courts, they represent you to cover you, protect you, and to make sure that justice is served properly for your life. Jesus is our advocate. How much more should we be an advocate for one another? Jesus stands according to what he did on the cross and his biblical policy for our life. He intercedes on our behalf, and so should we for one another. We should be advocates. You have an advocate that's fighting for you. How often? For eternity, forever. When you can see Jesus praying for you, that shifts everything. It shows me that he's constantly for me, not against me. So then if he's for me, you can't do a thing to me. You can't do one thing. I don't care what you say, what you do. I don't care if you shoot me. It, you'll, you will lose. Now, Reuben would never do that. He's, he's a son and he's born again. But he understands that language because of what he came out of. We win because he won. And you say, well, I prayed for people that were sick and they didn't make it. Were they born again? They win. People say, oh, man, I, when I go to hell, I'm going to rock it out with Stevie Ray and Jerry Garcia. Just send me to hell. I used to have friends that say that. Say, first of all, you have no idea what you're talking about. Second of all, I'm not 100% sure that they're there because I wasn't holding their hand at their deathbed. I realized they may have had pentagrams and preached sung songs about the devil, but unless somebody was crying out to Satan the minute they died and you were standing right there, you don't know. And it's not a party going on in hell. And this isn't a play thing. The truth is, is they don't really understand how much God loves them. So they're trying to use the hell thing as a card to get out of how much he cares and the price he paid. And it doesn't faze me. I said, dude, you don't even know how much God loves you. You're not even living your best life. You don't even know who you are. And what, what, so what's the scripture say? They're living in crisis. And they don't even realize it. But everybody is in the valley of decision. So who comes along as the light of the world to shine the contrast? You do. Well, first Jesus did. Then we do. So Jesus is fighting on our behalf as an advocate. And do you know who else fights on our behalf? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is constantly fighting for you. Constantly. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Are you weak? You could put in a lot of things inside weakness. You feel like you don't have the strength to go on. You bombed it a million times. You've been living in sin. You're feeling shame, condemnation, crisis, hardship, discouragement, frustration. I don't know what your story, whatever your story is, what does the Spirit do? 
kicks you when you're down? He helps you. Now, how does the Holy Spirit help? First of all, the scripture says that we don't know how to pray as we ought to. I don't actually fully know how to pray specifically for you at all times. But you know who does know? The Holy Spirit knows. And so the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. How? Through us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, what's a groaning that can't be uttered? A groaning that can't be uttered is this thing that comes out from the depth inside my tummy, the bowels of who I am, when I begin to just, I feel this travailing thing as I pray for my family, my kids, whatever difficult situation I'm going through. The Holy Spirit literally takes over in my life, and I begin to wail and cry out with this groaning that I can't even put it into words. I'm, I mean, there's times I feel like I'm going to crash my car or something, I'm just, it, the Holy Spirit comes over me, and I begin to intercede with groanings that can't be uttered. I also start to pray in the Spirit, His way, His will, and I pray in tongues. Now, tongues can be such a divisive thing in the church, but it shouldn't be, because it's everywhere in the Bible. God gives you a language because you don't know how to pray as you ought to. I only know so much about Reuben and Chelsea. I'm not going to make assumptions. So I start to pray in the spirit and I start to cry out for Reuben and Chelsea and their marriage and their future and their life. And I start to feel God's heartbeat and I start to weep and cry. And then I start to and I start to release my prayer language because the Holy Spirit intercedes through me because I don't know how to pray as I ought to pray and neither do you. My English language is limited compared to the heavenly language. And when I tap into the heavenly language, I start to cry out in a way that I don't even even know how to pray that's what the holy spirit does inside of a person's life the intercession is used twice in 26 it says the holy spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that can't be uttered look at verse 27 likewise the spirit i'm sorry verse 27 now he who searches the hearts and what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints god is praying for the saints because he knows what the mind of himself is so he wants you to pray that way. And more often than not, when you're angry at your spouse or angry at a coworker or things don't go your way, the Bible says every time, pray for them. And I said this last week, I don't like to pray for you when I'm mad at you, just so that you know. I don't like to pray for, man, when I'm mad at my wife, I'm, it's like, man, I don't, I'm like, I'm not going to pray. So, yes, you are. So, Jesus, thank you for my wife. Like, Lord, I just bless my wife. Now, if I could get her to just do the same for me, we'd all be great. Hey! So you're not alone. You got the Holy Spirit. Get born again. This isn't a plaything. It's not a nice religion. This is the reality. This works. I've been living it. God does something that you could never do. So you need the Holy Spirit to pray, intercede, Constant communion, watchful, circumspect, paying attention, be patient. I'm sorry it's taking so long, and I'm sorry you're going through something hard, but kind of not really. Because I know if you respond right, no matter what it is, you'll come out a lot stronger. Amen? Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap right now. Let's all stand.